0: Five, four, three, two, one. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Sales Prestige Podcast. Well, we're here to help you get to the next level. I am joined by Dan Nabrotsky, who is the head of sales at OpenCare. Dan has a really unique background because he's spent much of his career working his way up at startups, very entrepreneurial, um, and, and, and it just seems like a true sales guy. So I think you guys are gonna learn a lot from him here today. Dan, where I wanna start is, I think a lot of people contemplate Should I go to a big company? Should I go to a small company? And you have that unique viewpoint of really working your way at smaller companies, which creates some challenges, but also creates new opportunities. So talk about your background and what's gotten you to the point you're at today.
1: Yeah, Trent. I mean, to answer the question, first off, I think one of the things that you weigh when you're going into sales is... Like, how much do I want to spread myself and how much do I want to learn? If you want to learn the basics, the fundamentals, uh, I highly recommend going to a big company. I mean, they're going to train you and indoctrinate you and make sure that you're that one-stop shop. Uh, for. But for me, what I found was more beneficial was jumping into startups. I think having that experience of being part of a startup, you get touch points on the marketing, product, um, how to run a company, because you're usually yeah. in a high high impact situation with the CEO, you're gonna be able to spread yourself and be able to get a fully rounded skill set because I think when you get into sales, you're gonna realize, um, I don't wanna be a sales rep my whole life. Um, I'd like to help people. And that's where that multifaceted skill set will help you because you've had experience doing product roadmaps with the product team. You've understood how the forecasting works, what EBITDA is, and understanding all that nuanced side to the finance side to help you become that leader that you wanna be. So if you want, what I think, if someone comes in and they haven't started their own company like I did, um, I'd recommend starting starting with a big company, but then jumping out into a startup where you can play a big role and positive impact and make a few changes and learn some skills so that you can be that sales leader moving forward.
0: That's usually what I, I tell people as well. And it's it's I, I appreciate hearing that coming from you as a big company. It's more training, more resources, a little bit easier because you can say, Hey, I'm calling from Google. Have you ever heard of our name by chance? And it makes things a bit easier. On the flip side, when you're working for a startup, you do wear more hats per se, which I think can create more unique experiences to grow your skill set but it inherently is gonna be a bit more challenging. So talk about the early days when you initially got your feet wet. It sounds like, did you start a company as your first professional experience or did you join a startup? Take us back to the early days.
1: You got it, yeah. I was in university, uh, just taking you back to what I wanted to do. I think everyone wanted to be a doctor at some point, right? And so did I. So I was doing (laughs) biological sciences. I signed up for pre-med, right? (laughs) And so-
0: Helping people.
1: Exactly, right? I just want to help people. Um, But early on, I did, um, what was it, an internship at the hospital. I saw a couple needs that needed to be fixed, and I built a product for it. Um, It was really cool. So what I did is I bought a software uh, from a company in India. I did a little rejigging on the Java side and made sure that that was at least applicable for what I wanted to do. I paired it with RFIDs and created a company out of it. Uh, We sold into the US, primarily in Detroit. And uh, that's just because I'm based in Canada and uh, you can't sell into Canada because everything's so government regulated, but we went down to Detroit. Um, We sold a couple POVs, uh, like proof of concepts. And then we also um, were able to launch full scale into one of the healthcare networks. Um, What I learned early on though, especially with the niche that I was in with healthcare, is that I really needed some more experience to be able to provide validity to what I was doing because I was just a university student. So even though I was the founder, I took a step back and invited someone in to be my CEO. And I think that was a big game changer for me to be able to see how success can happen so fast. We grew. Um, I eventually had a team of 25 underneath me as the VP of sales. And as a co-founder, I sat at the table. I, I was part of all the Meetings, all the strategy, but um, we were able to grow because I brought on a CEO who provided validity to what we were doing and was able to hire up companies because we we're selling enterprise sales. And I was a kid out of university, right, with a product that I hatched together, and I'm not a programmer. So um, it was really cool to see that happen. We grew it. Um, and then we sold uh, to a company called Zebra in the US. And uh, that was a big validating point for me, knowing that I can grow something. Um, all I needed was a little bit of help here and there where my faults were and I was able to do it, so.
0: Congratulations, yeah. what 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 a way to start a career, right? Rather than going to, to training in a sales development program, you said, hey, I see an opportunity here in the market. And to your point, you're, you're not a programmer. I'm not a programmer. I'm not overly technical, but I know enough to, to get on the calls and sound like I know what I'm talking about. And I think a lot of people have entrepreneurial aspirations, particularly in tech. And But they, then they get in their own way and say, you know what? I don't know any engineers. Uh, I, I can't do coding. And, and then they say, I'll, I'll, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing today. How does one purchase a, a, a software or something in India? Could you talk to me about how you even found that? Exactly right.
1: <laughs> um, I was I was on Fiverr actually, and, like internet's a wonderful place, right? You can find anything there. And so I was on Fiverr trying to figure out who could build me this software, and um, one of the guys very kindly offered up that, like, hey, I've built something like this before, and I said, cool. Where is it? <laughs> I talked. And so I found the website, I talked to the owner, and I was like, hey, can I buy this off of you? Or at least like the source code, right? And uh, he said, yeah, that's fine. I'm, I'm not doing anything with the software anyways. So I was able to buy it, I think, for like 3000 bucks. But yeah.
0: It sounds like that that paid off handsomely there um what what is it what does it look like in the early days going from idea to you purchase this new software so you you have a a concept per se and you're ready to go to the market and and develop some proof of concepts like you said in the early days how how do you start scaling And then I want to parlay that into the self-awareness you had to say, Hey, I, I, I'm not the most experienced. I'm tenacious. I, I want to make it happen, but I also want to bring in somebody that has perhaps been there, done that before. So talk about the early days of hiring, scaling, going from you idea to actual business
1: yeah i think one thing we get confused about a lot when we talk about go-to-market strategy is like we go in we what we'll probably do is we'll interview a couple people say like hey what would this look like for you if we could solve this problem right and they kind of describe it and then you kind of work some features in there what i found is most successful especially when i later on i started consulting for some of these tech startups is trying to really understand the problem and then Create the features which maybe don't, maybe they didn't ask for, but have the features that solve the problem that you can tell the story around in a clear and concise way. Um, so one of the things that we did is we interviewed and did some like surveys, and I even did a, like I think it was like three or four night shifts at the hospitals, just watching and being a fly on the wall. I didn't ask them like, hey, if we could build something for you, what does this look like? I was just like let me see what you're doing. See if we can improve. Um, we have, um, like as, as an entrepreneur, as a salesperson, I think you have a lot of knowledge that you don't typically want to use. And like, we're, we're typically lazy as salespeople and you don't want to do like the least amount of work for the most nah. amount of reward. Um, but if you put in the work on the back end, you're going to see the results on the front end. So what happened was, um, we have we figured out our solution. Um, we figured out what the problem was. We created our own solution for it. It was different from what they're recommending, but we could tell the story as to why this was better. We were able to provide proof of concepts for them where they could trial it, see for themselves that this works. Um, people who are adapting to tech, especially like healthcare, who hasn't really been on the front lines of tech adaptation, especially on the admin side, um, they're a little hesitant so what we did is we provide that proof of concept um once the proof of concept happened i did the install i did the setup i did everything all by myself i realized i was like look if these people are willing to take part in this what i need to do is figure out how i can scale my company Get a few people who are eager and hungry. Um, I hired some salespeople on commission only as a part-time basis, right? I was like, "Look, you're in the healthcare industry. You have the you have the relationships. If you see the need, I will pay you once it actualizes, right?" And I think there's enough people like us who are willing to take that bet, like no. nine times out of ten. So I found a couple people to do that, and then I found someone who was in the healthcare industry um, previously to be my CEO. And the reason for that was I was trying to get that POC into a full-scale launch. And uh, I realized very quickly in the early stages of that conversation that I don't know everything that I should (laughs) to make this happen. And I might fall on my face. And I'd rather accelerate fast and have a lower percentage of the pie than just try and do it all myself because I started having some doubts that I knew everything that I did. so.
0: It's energizing hearing your story because you're someone that is willing to push the boundaries and and get creative and not necessarily ask for permission, but but to go and just do it and make it happen. And I, I think showing up to the hospitals really embodies that by empathizing with who is your end customer, how would they actually be using this? What are some of the challenges that we really need to fill in? And that helped you then find that product market fit in a way. And what, what I'm particularly curious about, because this is something I'm exploring as well, because I see this as a big opportunity with smaller companies, is how does one build a repeatable sales process? So you identify this opportunity in the market. You are eager to start bringing on some hungry salespeople, but you may not have a playbook to clearly say, hey, this is, this is exactly what to do. This is how we're going to scale. So I know you then... Um, you guys sold the company, which was exciting. And then you started doing some sales consulting. So when you're consulting for a, a smaller company or or even a bigger company that may have more established processes, how do you establish a scalable sales process?
1: Yeah, when we talk about scale, we need to first talk about how we're leading that demand gen, um, which is more of a marketing side, but I think it's a sales side thing too. And then the second part is making sure that your cost uh, for return is uh, applicable. You can't just like burn out and die. What what I found a lot of the times uh, when I jumped into some of these tech startups, especially here, in the, we call this like Silicon Valley of Canada, this Toronto, uh, Kitchener, Waterloo corridor here that I'm in. Um, there's so many people who will hire salespeople and they're like, OK, figure it out. And um, to your point, yeah. you need to have that playbook one thing that I found very helpful when we're doing the playbook and making that repeatable and scalable was having that formula or that idea of like, this is what we need to do. And we need to get to this point before it starts become becoming more of an art than a science. And that science needs to be like tested tried especially at that top of the funnel and making sure that you have the activities whether that's outbound calling um, cold calling whether that's demand generation from some white papers or even some case studies even doing podcasts right, right. so uh, there's a lot of stuff that you can do uh, on the top of the funnel to kind of drive that demand but once they come in you need to have that process to get to a point where these guys are right. interesting th- this is what they need to think you're interesting you're solving a problem i just need a few tweaks and i think this can work Um, doing that at scale means that you need to have a product and this isn't anything that we can do as a sales team you need to make sure that your product is applicable across a lot of markets and a lot of genres right Um, If you are focusing on a niche, then you better own that niche, that whole niche um, and be present in everything that you do. It's very simple to own a niche. When you have a more broad product that's applicable, you could say, hey, this works for everyone. Um, You really need to nail down who you can get at a repeatable rate because you're going to be, as a salesperson, you're going to be shooting for that big shot. And that isn't a repeatable process. That's a that's a love passion. That's a that's a hobby. That's something that you want to do, but it's not something that the business needs you to do,
0: right? I feel fortunate to have started my career at a mature sales organization where we have a, a robust go-to-market strategy. And it's that combination of the inbound and outbound lead demand. So we have the inbound team who's focused on calling all of the warm leads per se, the, the folks that that we have potentially identified via a webinar, a white paper, some sort of marketing campaign to identify folks that may be able to benefit from this. And then on the other hand, outbound, which is really where I came up the ranks on, pure cold lead generation, cold calling, cold emailing, identifying, okay, I have a thousand accounts in my book of business how do I prioritize who can spend the most versus maybe where the low hanging fruit is, and then start to get as many meetings as possible to generate qualified opportunity. And I, I think it's such an exciting process because once you get that opportunity, once you get the pipeline, as you know, the more pipeline, the more revenue you're uh, eventually gonna be able to recognize. So Dan, talk about, you sell your company, you're probably, extremely excited, Um, you start your career on a high note, um, different than most, and then you decide to get into sales consulting?
1: Exactly. I I joined in and started consulting with a bunch of sales companies, uh, or companies which had trouble with sales. And the fun part there was I could share my story and share my experiences. Um, as salespeople you take risks right that was a risk starting off from scratch and uh, going there but it paid off and now I leverage that as an opportunity to share I've done that before and now I can do it again and try and help you right um, go to market like you said um, it, there take there's a mix and a balance and you just need to have that consistency as a sales rep you can't keep flip-flopping. You don't really penetrate the market if you flip-flop between different niches or markets. So yeah, I jumped in, started consulting. I had a book of around six or seven who I did individually um, for myself. Um, And then through that led to an opportunity where I joined uh, another up-and-coming startup uh, on the back of a US mandate. So it's really nice selling software when the government has mandated that you need to buy some form of software,
0: so. That I think that's the the clearest signal of product market fit you you can exactly. find when the government says you need this or you will not be <laughs> up to regulatory standards whatever it may be. Um exactly. Talk talk about going to market when nobody knows who you are and this is something I experienced in the early days at Qualtrics. I would call them out of the blue and say, Hey, does my name ring a bell? And they'd say, I have no idea who you are. Now it's a little bit different as the company matures, but. It seems like based on your experience, oftentimes when you're calling into companies, nobody knows who you are per se or the company. So that inherently creates more challenges. So how does one overcome that factor?
1: Well, when I was a sales rep and even selling at with my team right now, um, I would call it out right up front. I was like, hey, do you know Open Care, for example? I I don't think a lot of people know about Open Care because we do dental software, but um, hey, do you know about Open Care? They typically say no. And it's like, look, I know that you don't know about us, but I'd like you to get to know me, right? And let's take some time here and uh, I can order you a coffee, order you a tea, whatever it is and let's spend some time together. Uh, I don't want you to trust me just based on my words. I'd like to show you that I know what I'm talking about. And they're like, whoa, that's bold. But uh, having that line or having that presumption that someone's gonna know who you are, or even like, oh, that doesn't matter if you don't know me, uh, is kind of a little folly. Uh, As salespeople, we need to build that rapport right off the gate. That's what we're really paid to do is build that trust. And so you have to call it out. Be truthful and be honest about what you're doing and make sure that they know that
0: I like that ability to get creative. And I think that that's something that you've shown time and time again is thinking out of the box to really create that that urgency in other people to say, hey, let me hear this guy out. Let me give him a chance. Uh, And when you finally do get the chance, you start working the deal. Eventually, and we're going ahead in the the sales cycle a bit, eventually you will need to negotiate and and close. I I noticed that you had participated in a a Harvard negotiation course, and I'm not sure if it was run by Chris Voss. He's a guy who wrote the book, Never Split the Difference and seems to be a big name in the negotiation space. I think it's fascinating because you start to get into human psychology, um, what really drives people emotions and, and their decision-making. So talk about some of your learnings from that course and then how you apply them in your role as a, as a leader of sales, uh, in negotiations.
1: Yeah, I think it's fun. Um, Being a leader of negotiators is very different from negotiating yourself. I feel like I have a lot (laughs) of control and I can do it the right way. But um, one of the things I find very fascinating from that course, uh, it was emphasized a lot was if you have the most information, you're going to win that side of the argument. Um, So they were always pushing. You should know more about their company than they do and um we this happened time and time again i've been through like company acquisitions which are probably more high stakes negotiations right and you would have people call in to just basic sales reps be like hey i was wondering how it's going how's your growth how's your numbers been like i i want to buy but i'm not too sure if you guys are growing to get some ideas as to like what's going on really behind the deck right um there's a lot of different tactics that people use nowadays and uh, i found it very interesting going through some of these acquisitions being attacked from the other side to get that information about how we're actually doing but the reason why they did whoever has the most information is going to win that side of the argument now the the fun part is when you lead a team <laughs> and they're trying to negotiate um, you can tell them um, say like hey just don't budge on this, say this is what it is. And like, if there needs to be anything else, uh, there's there's nothing else I can do. I've already talked to my like VP of sales, my head of sales, and uh, the buck stops here. I, I hope we can do business, but he told me no, right? <laughs> um, the, even though I know I can go lower and my reps don't. And having that source of desperation saying like, hey, I tried my best, but he gave me like no room to budge. Like, can we please still make this work? That really tests that, hey, I know that that rep has made the rapport and built the relationship that they needed to for that honest exchange of saying, hey, this is where the buck stops and we need to be at this price point. and then it works most of the time, right? Um, it, it's tough to trust your sales leader, though, when they do that. You, you As a sales rep, you're going to hate them, right? But <laughs> it, usually, it usually works, especially if the sales leader has an
0: inside scoop in knowing how good you've managed that account, right? And you have a unique perspective as an operational sales leader where you may not be directly dealing with the customers anymore, but then you can vicariously almost negotiate through your reps, through them and give them coaching uh, advice based on your experience. And I want to talk about that experience in a moment. What I've seen negotiating somebody who I'm four years in, into my sales career. I'm I'm by no means an expert. When I first became an account executive last year, um, I would fold like a lawn chair. They would say, well, hey, I, I want you, but your price. And then it's, oh, okay not a problem. I'll get it right now. Can you, And then all of a sudden I'd give it to them. And then they'd say, well, this guy's desperate. And, and then it would just slow things down and it would, it would eventually work against me. And then I, when I would close the deal, then maybe procurement would come in. I'd say, guys, I've, I've given, I'm at the lowest I can go. I really can't go any lower. And it got me into a lot of problems. So what I learned is now saying, if I can get you that, then I expect this. Then I expect you to sign by this day. Then I expect this process and try and give and take And then the second part of this, to your point around whoever has the most information, what I've also found is we were selling a solution in Q4 that was helping meet health and safety demands of organizations. So this was really a business critical issue to to what you experienced earlier in your career. And what I found is when I was going into those conversations, there was so much demand that I almost had this air of, I don't really care if we do business together because I know that there's a line of other people that are willing to do it as well. And I think when I was able to go into those negotiations caring less, although I still really wanted it, they could sense that and it almost gave me the upper hand in a way. So I'm trying to figure out how to recreate that when I am in situations where I'm actually really desperate and need this deal to close for the quarter. Uh, so, So that's what I've seen negotiation. So Dan, talk about, your experience at a, as a head of sales. Now that you oversee a sales organization, you have some reps, um, what, what are those lessons that, and a lot of people who listen to this, this show are earlier in their career perhaps looking to get in tech sales, um, an SDR account executive like me, maybe, maybe some leaders as well. So talk about as that operational leader, what advice would you give to a rep on your team if they could go start doing these one or two things to find more success?
1: Yeah, I think to that point, if you come in with an irrational confidence, I think that's that's standard for a sales Love person it. to be successful, right? Just be confident in who you are, what you're able to do, right. even if like you've never done it before. Just be irrationally confident. I think the second part to it um, is really care and know your accounts. Uh, like, when I as a sales leader and I got this as well when I jumped in early uh, with a couple of these companies If you get asked like hey, where's this account and you don't really know either one? They're overloading you but more likely uh, you've just forgotten about them, right? And uh, Knowing your accounts knowing what their issues are um, that is your biggest um your biggest advantage when you do that initial discovery, discovery questions are key and having those written down, marked down, everyone can see what you know and what we're going into and heading into with this person, that's going to make a big difference as well. Um, I can't stress discovery enough with my reps and with my team, making sure that they're doing the qualification, they're doing the discovery really understanding and really digging in because it That's not where, like, let's close the deal happens, and then they get Mm -hmm. scared, right? Um, This is where, hey, I care about you. Let's try and figure out how I can help you and if there is an issue, right? So, blow it down, to Make sure that discovery questions are all set. And then, second... an irrational confidence and then just trust yourself and also be humble um, and honest Uh, an honest salesman you think you need to lie um, to get some of these sales in right maybe sell some vaporware or something that's coming in the future (laughs) but uh, if if you're honest with them uh, it's going to make a world of a difference for you and for the company and for yourself Uh, that's what got me into leadership it in the top performer like in one quarter or two quarters for some of these companies but even though I wasn't the top performer year over year I was the most honest and I showed like the humility to be able to learn a lot of skills and that's why I was able to accelerate really fast in my career
0: to a leadership position deals are really won and lost in discovery and that's what i've noticed because your ability to do the discovery allows you to unlock the value later on the deal and, and build that trust of hey they really listen to me they understand my business and then when that champion takes it to their executive and you're able to then say, well, hey, this is what I've heard. This is what it's going to mean for you. That's ultimately how you justify the value, because you don't always have a clear ROI in all these deals. So it's so important to really also before a demo too to know, hey, this is actually what is going to help you in your business. Um, what I want to end with then in the last few minutes here is I noticed that you spent some time as a guest lecturer specifically talking about entrepreneurship. Um, which, which interests me, um, and and I know that you talked about internet monetization, go-to-market, sales strategies, different concepts like that. When you're speaking to a group of students and, and talking about entrepreneurship, you have great experiences to call on because you've built a company and sold it. Um, what what con- what concepts or ideas do you think are most important? And and when you go into a lecture, what message are you trying to convey about that?
1: Yeah, I think what I'm trying to convey with, especially some of these students who are trying to get the education and learn, like, what does it take? I want to do this myself. Um, It's all about taking action and getting that momentum, right? Uh, If you see a need, act on it. Dive in deep, get religious about it, be live about it. Really make that part of your life to understand how can I make this real? Is it real? Um, you don't know it's real until you start acting on it. Um, you might see it act on it. Um, there's a lot of different ways that people can make money you know. nowadays, especially with the internet um, and ad monetization and um, like web agencies are very rampant nowadays people want to get their products in front of people and they don't know how and they're trying to navigate it Um, that's one of the most common ones i see for young people to start up with all you need to do is make sure that you are in the space you have some fun creatives and you know how to how to draw people in with those catchphrases that you like you just replicate it make sure it happens and uh, go from there but when when i do my And uh, help um, teach these students one of the biggest parts that I talk about is uh, you need to make sure that you test retest and then test again and make sure that you are acting on your hypotheses and make sure that you are validating your ideas Um, that's the message that you can share if you want to go the investor route or if you want to do it solo Um, but you're going to need um, some proof and validation to keep you going through those nights that you are very
0: alone. <laughs> and, and taking action is that first step. And, and this is the, the final point point we'll end on because I think that this is the most powerful because you can listen to this. You can hear all this perspective and say, I'm excited. I want to do it. I know what I want. Uh, but, but then you, you wake up the next day and you don't actually act on it. So you talked earlier about that irrational confidence in a way of just believing in yourself more so than anything else. When you identify that need, um, how does one go from zero to one to say, I'm going to take action? How, how do you do that? And I know you're someone who's programmed that that will just go and do it, but not everyone's like that. So what advice would you have for someone that that knows that they can do bigger things, but are ju- it's just not taking the action for one reason or another?
1: Yeah, one thing I would recommend doing, uh, especially for some of our younger viewers and uh, would be just to start at like a social page for yourself. Be like, hey, I had this idea. I'm going to start a social page to talk about this i'm going to follow everyone who's already in the space um so it, even if it's call it a medical device company right you're like hey <laughs> this is what we're doing and it's like this is, this looks great and you you start and say like I'm starting my company about this and this is what it is even though you don't have a product you don't have a know-how say you're doing it put on social share follow and see what the reactions are ask for comments you can DM people um, all that kind of stuff and you're going to get that connection that the internet provides as a source of like either motivation or um, maybe a a, a tweak needs to happen in your market so um, or in the product or in your idea. So try and get out, do that first step. I think that's the easiest one. For some of us who are a little bit more experienced, I think making a website and starting to create uh, little MVP videos or like little explainer videos on that website and trying to understand uh, how you can grow that um, from there, I think is a powerful one. The second one, Uh, for people who are more experienced or maybe a little bit more rationally confident is to talk to people in the industry, Um, call them up. A lot of these people, especially if they're really good, they've got some free time on their hands (laughs) because they're good, right? And they definitely wanna pay it forward. I know as a sales leader, when someone ever calls and asks for help, I always wanna pay it forward. Don't feel like your time is less important than theirs um we've all been there we've all run through the ranks and we want to help everyone um especially people who are up and coming they want to be a part of that if they can coach you and consult you and you do all that heavy work they're going to want to be a part of it when it comes time to either invest or even be part of the company and join you as the ceo right so that's
0: such powerful perspective everyone I, i hope you heard that you may need to go back and listen to that um, I'll link a link to Dan's LinkedIn below. If you want to go check him out, let him know what you thought of the episode. Um, Dan, thanks so much for the time here today.
1: Trent, appreciate it. Thanks for-